Hello and welcome to the Linder Farm Network Field Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lemke. Since 1938, the United States has recognized May as World Trade Month, an opportunity to celebrate the importance of international trade to the U.S. economy. Trade is important to many sectors, but perhaps none more than agriculture. The U.S. Grains Council Vice President Kerry Sifrith joins us on this episode to explain what the Grains Council does and what trade adds to the bottom line of Minnesota farms. Yeah, so the U.S. Grain Council, we are you know, a private nonprofit organization um, supported by our members uh, that develops export markets for corn, barley, sorghum, and their various co-products, which the two big ones for us are uh, grain-based ethanol, um, as well as the distiller dry grains or DDGS uh, products. And so the Grain Council, through our network, we have 10 offices, nine of those located around the the world plus our headquarters here in Washington DC. Um, we have staff on the ground and so we're we're constantly working on to uh, de- develop and ex- uh, export markets, increase exports as well. And what seems to really come up the last uh, five or 10 years is all kinds of different trade policies and trade barriers that, that seem to jump up. Um, it used to be from time to time, and now it seems to be a, a regular occurrence. And so everything from tariffs that are put into place um, uh, and sometimes even anti-dumping and countervailing duty cases against our products um, that we've had to take on, uh, but even just uh, some SBS issues, everything from you know MRLs being put into place or um, tighter restrictions uh, on imports in certain markets or um, re- requirements for fumigation to get in certain markets. And so we're constantly working with our staff around the world in these markets to make sure that uh, the doors are open as best as we can for, for corn, barley, sorghum, and those co-products to be able to move um, into those global markets. Now, what is the lay of the land? I understand that, you know, despite many of the, the challenges with the, you know, COVID and with the supply chain disruptions that the, there has been a good movement uh, for the U.S. grains that uh, into other parts of the world. Uh, touch on that, if you would. Um, yeah, I mean, last year, so for the 2020-2021 marketing year for, for corn, um, which runs from September through August, you know, so the U.S. set an all-time uh, record of, of exports of corn, you know, uh, 2.753 billion bushels. That's the most corn we've ever exported any marketing year. Um, about 842 million bushels of that went to China. That's the largest uh, single destination we've ever exported corn to. Um, and so, you know, we had a very good year last marketing year. Um, this marketing year, which, you know, started back in September, um, it's going fairly well. We're, we're not going to hit um, what we did last year. Um, we'd have to set a new record to do that, but we're, we're doing quite well. Um, you know, right now we're expected to export about 2.5 billion bushels of, of U.S. corn, um, and about 2.357 billion bushel of that has already been sold and or shipped. Um, so I think we'll, we'll hit that mark, and it's possible we may even uh, exceed that 2.5 billion bushel that USDA has corn exports at the moment. And that's just looking at corn itself. Um, we also do quite a bit of work, and we even track on our website um, what we call grain uh, exports in all forms. And so, you know, how, how much corn equivalent is leaving as a DDGS, how much corn equivalent is leaving as uh, fuel grade ethanol, um, 
we even, you know, we track sorghum and barley is there as well. But um, not that we work in uh, in the meat and poultry export side of things, our friends at U.S. Meat Export Federation and U.S. Poultry and Ag Export Federation, but we do track what is the corn equivalent of, of that, uh, of those products leaving to, to the global market. And so um, there in Minnesota, we know corn is exported as full corn. We know there's DDGS products leaving from Minnesota. We know ethanol is being exported, but we also know a fair amount of uh, probably uh, Minnesota corn-fed pork uh, is leaving to other countries, uh, maybe some beef, uh, some egg products as well. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not just what goes down the river in a barge or goes out to the Pacific Northwest in a rail car. It's, it's all these other products and, and the corn equivalent of those. And how important then does that track back to farmers? Obviously, right now, this time of year, they're concerned with getting the crop in the ground. Uh, that, that's first and foremost. But obviously, sure. with about a third of uh, that, you know, those grain crops needing to find a home elsewhere. Uh, how important then does this trickle back to, to farmers to understand what role, uh, you know, trade plays in, in their bottom line? Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, if, if I look at that, you know, that last year of uh, that 2.753 billion bushels, that was, um, you know, 18.6% of our total corn use. And that, again, that's just in the corn that went out as corn, not counting the others. And so, you know, that, that amount of trade, uh, obviously, if that corn were to not move into the export market, or even half of that didn't move, um, that's going to back up uh, the amount of stocks we have at the end of the year, which then is going to affect not just what the price is in Chicago, which everything is based off of, but then even what is your basis in your local, uh, at your local grain elevator where you may be in Minnesota. And so if you aren't, you know, if, that, if your local ethanol plant isn't able to export those DDGs out, that affects their bottom line and then affects their basis, their bidding to you. Um, if the pork operations aren't exporting pork, uh, again, they're, they're, that's affecting their bottom line and it's affecting the basis that they're maybe buying corn from, as well as what what is the basis doing at a shuttle uh, corn loader um, in western Minnesota or, or southwestern Minnesota, or what is the basis uh, at the river today? Um, all that's going to affect be affected quite quite a bit if if and when we have uh, a slowdown in trade um, or even some small hiccups, you start to notice those things fairly quickly. You know everything from uh, New Orleans shutting down for for two weeks because a hurricane come through, you start to notice those even just up the river fairly quickly. Um, but is, is there a trade issue um, that's coming up that's slowing down uh, exports to specific market? And you'll start to notice that uh, not only will probably Chicago prices be affected by that, but even your local basis if you're, um, if you're, near, if you're delivering corn to um, areas that would normally be, whether it's loading barges on the river, or again, rail cars, or again, maybe even an ethanol plant or a feed mill that's feeding hogs or turkeys or, or what it may be in, in Minnesota. So you touched on them, I know, in the first question, but does, what are some of the issues and, and the barriers that do you, you guys have to kind of massage and work with with the different uh, uh, customers to, to make sure that that uh, uh, flow of, of grain continues to, uh, to be strong from the U.S. to customers around the world? Well, you know, obviously, uh, we have, you know, our big customer last year, China, um, you know, parts of that uh, with, within the phase one of, of the U.S.-China agreement, um, but making sure that not just that the tariffs were reduced um, within that, but even what are some of the barriers, some of the biotechnology issues, um, plant uh, and registrations uh, for importers in China to be able to buy that. 
making sure that was all part of that program. Um, you know, making sure our big our big market down in Mexico. Uh, a lot of that goes by rail directly into Mexico. Uh, some of it goes by by vessel. But again, making sure uh, we don't have uh, biotechnology issues that could uh, disrupt that. Um, <clears throat> working on uh, you know uh, fuel ethanol exports. Uh, you know what's uh, we we actually work to have U.S. ethanol be included um, in, into the Japan mix. Japan actually uh, we actually export. Uh, ETBE. Um, so instead of MTBE, it's, it's ETBE made with ethanol. Um, and that's how Japan is importing ethanol right now. Um, and we were, we were completely shut out of that. It had to be Brazilian origin only, working to make sure that US origin ethanol could be used to make ETBE to be exported there um, and open that up. And so now we're shipping about 100 million gallons of ethanol to that Japan market. Now we're looking to make that to the next step. Uh, hopefully, uh, even get into some direct blending um, <clears throat> in Japan. And so, again, opening those markets, doing what we can. You know, Canada, which has been a very steady uh, and good market for U.S. ethanol, um, working with even in the province level in Canada to make sure to where they're starting to expand um, their blending levels uh, in different provinces in Canada, um, and even Canada, Western Canada, has started to take on a lot of uh, U.S. corn. Um, the drought that we saw even out in the Pacific Northwest that affected our wheat and barley markets over there also affected the wheat and barley markets up in Western Canada. And so those big cattle feedlots and the big hog feeding operations out there are short of their own domestic uh, wheat and barley that they normally feed. And so making sure that those lanes are open and so corn can move um, and, and DDGS. And we're seeing some big spikes of both corn and DDGS into Western Canada this year. So all those kind of things, just on a daily basis, there's always something that, that jumps up. Somebody want, you know, uh, some country wants to set a new MRL on a, on a commonly used uh, uh, chemical that's used in corn production. And all of a sudden we, we need to get in the middle of that before those things are set because that could drastically affect the ability of US corn to ship into that market. So it's, it, it seems like there's almost, uh, almost Definitely every week, if not every day, uh, something new comes across our desk of th things we have to work on to keep those markets open and keep the, the corn and other grain products flowing out of the U.S. Well, and as our, our productivity continues to expand and acreage is strong, uh, it's obviously important for farmers to know that there are groups such as the Grains Council and you know Corn Growers Association of Minnesota and elsewhere working uh, to keep those things open because obviously as a farmer themselves, they wouldn't uh, you know, have the capacity to ad address all of this. And it certainly, again, shows up in their bottom line when, when all these markets are open and flowing well. Uh, correct on that. And without the, the support of the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council through the checkoff funds uh, and, and the support we get from them and other, and other state uh, checkoff organizations, you know, we wouldn't be able to <clears throat> do what we do around the world. We wouldn't be able to have staff here in our headquarters and have people on the ground every, you know, from from uh, Mexico to Colombia to Egypt to uh, our new office in New Delhi, India to Southeast Asia markets to China and Japan and South Korea. So without their support and not the support of the Minnesota, the Minnesota Corn Checkoff through that, we just wouldn't be able to continue to always be on the front line looking, not only uh, dealing with the kind of the barriers today, but looking for the new markets, the frontier markets that hopefully will come along in the, in the coming, you know, three, five, uh, eight, 10 years, because uh, we know something will happen to 
to uh, probably slow down one of our markets. So we always got to be looking for new markets so we can keep that uh, uh, corn exports going uh, at a good level. Um, and as you said, production continues to increase. So we um, we look to always be looking, finding markets for it. And again, in all forms and a big way to move a lot of corn out of the U.S. going forward, we know is going to be through ethanol exports. I was just going to mention that too, as you know, you, you see the, uh, the the disruptions from other parts of the world, and, and you know, you see some opportunities there. But uh, you certainly, you know, can never rest on your laurels. Uh, you know, seeing past history, expecting that it will necessarily repeat itself. So you guys have to be pretty diligent. I'm, I'm assuming at all times. Uh, yeah, correct. And we've seen, you know, when COVID first came on, just like in the U.S., a lot of other places in the world, as everything shut down, you know, just people driving in the cars, putting. Uh, gasoline demand fell quite a bit. We saw oil prices fall, um, making uh, ethanol um, exports a little bit more difficult and being competitive. Um, now with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, what that's just done even on corn and wheat availability out of the Black Sea region. Uh, but then what's that doing to gas and natural, to oil and gasoline and, and natural gas prices? Um, and we're seeing some very good opportunities even just on the economics of, of ethanol uh, where we see uh, markets, even in the, the Gulf, we see United Arab Emirates uh, starting to import ethanol again, just because of the economics of it as an oxygenate. So um, we're, we're constantly watching that and pushing where we think we can uh, increase ethanol exports uh, in the short term, even just because of the economics, as well as just working on overall policies so that countries like Indonesia, um, <clears throat> Japan, uh, India, um, Canada can, can continue to, to use ethanol or even increase amount of ethanol that's going into their, their fuel mix. So with this being you know, World Trade Month, part of why we're recognizing this, I mean, it, it certainly does, again, trickle down to, uh, to the farmer's farm gate with uh, all of these you know, whole corn, the corn products that are heading out there, that it certainly is uh, something that they, even though they may not be consciously thinking of it, it, it certainly does play a big role in, in their profitability and the management of their farm. Yeah, and correct. Uh, and I've been from Minnesota originally myself. It's always, uh, I always uh, have uh, thoughts in my mind of our, our good uh, farmer members back in Minnesota, or even some of my family members that are still in, in the grain production side of things. So um, but yeah, trade is definitely part of that, that bottom line. And as I said, it's definitely affecting not only uh, that price in Chicago, that everything's being based off of, but even what's your basis doing um, locally, whether again, whether you're delivering to the river, whether you're delivering to a, a corn shuttle loader out in Western or Southern Minnesota, or even just the, the feed mill that's feeding turkeys and hogs or the ethanol plant, uh, again, portions of that products are also getting exported. And so we need to keep those moving um, so that those basis numbers stay strong um, throughout different areas of, of Minnesota. Thanks for joining us for this Field Talk podcast. Find other podcasts on linderfarmnetwork.com and catch the latest in farm news and markets on your local Linder Farm Network affiliate.